Alrighty, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihil kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet. Peace be upon him. Any questions, thoughts, reflections on anything? Do we inherit anything from, from the last few classes? See what I did there? Yeah. Mashallah. Okay. So otherwise, if not, oh, Zishan, do you have a question? No. If not, then let us get into Ayah 14, which we've already started, and then, or Ayah 13, and then, and 14, which we've already begun, and then see where the conversation takes us as we have more exciting topics forthcoming. So once again, nod or something, let me know you can see the screen. Okay, mashallah. Glass is getting small. Let's see what it's like tomorrow. So, these are the bounds set by Allah. Allah will admit those who obey him and his messenger through gardens graced with flowing streams. And they will be in their khalidina fiha. They will be there forever. And so this is like the great victory, the great triumph. Excuse me. So... A few things that I want to draw our attention to. One, we've already spoken about the idea of limits. That when you and I see a rule or something that sounds like a rule in the Quran, then it's hard to see anything else beside it. So, for example, if we are told of the things we can't eat, what are the four things you can't eat? Anyone? Nobody knows. Well, I guess 100% of all food right now. But we can't eat uh, blood, can't eat pork, can't eat carrion, meaning food like an animal that's already dead when we see it. And we can't eat something slaughtered in the name of someone other than Allah. Right? Those are the four things we can't eat. Now, when we speak about the holistic vision... What is actually being said, eat everything else available to you, just not these four things. And so the point I want to draw your attention to again is when we see what looks like a rule, it's easy to just look at the rule as a prohibition as opposed to a limitation. So this is a limitation. You can eat everything, just not these four things. But when we see you can't eat these four things in our brain, the way it operates is you can't eat these four things done. That it's a prohibition. But look at it as a limitation. For some reason, whenever I teach this specific class, I start coughing. Okay. <clears throat> Likewise, such is the case also with prescriptions, as we had the extensive discussion with, with the inheritance, is look at, try to figure out what is the holistic vision of of the inheritance rules and even there i'm suggesting that's a limitation that spend your money whatever way you want within the general halal means give it to whichever child you want in whatever way you want but the limitation is that your last expense your last giving of your child is going to be by way of inheritance okay so this is the point to think about when we think of the term hudud in the context of prescriptions, 
it is uh, it's self-deceiving to reduce a prescription to a command and a prohibition from a purely legal sense, yeah, but from a Quranic perspective, a command has a holistic vision that is part of it. A prohibition has a holistic vision that is part of it. And so, thus, those uh, God will admit those who obey him and his messenger into the gardens. And in the other class, we also speak about this. We haven't yet reached that point. Gardens beneath which rivers flow. This is a side point, but this also gives us another hint of this idea of the vision beyond the aisle. That I might look at this and think that, all right, the big thing I'm going to in paradise is, is gardens that are self-irrigating. But when you think of a garden, a garden is usually the decoration of a palace. That think, for example, of the big palaces of the world. They will often be decorated by beautiful gardens that are very carefully manicured and very carefully watered. So when we're told that the a reward of paradise is gardens beneath which rivers flow, it's not merely gardens. Infer we can infer from there that you're going to be given palaces, and in the same way that the gardens are self-maintained, the palaces will also be. And then we have the notion of eternity. And so when we're speaking, so we're going to be there forever. Uh, when we speak of this as the greatest triumph, so supreme triumph, mighty triumph, supreme achievement, so forth and so on, what are we also being told? That you have choices in how to live your life. And again, this is, I'm speaking and preaching to the choir here. But the point being that this choice of life is the best of all choices. But think of it as one of many choices that are available to you. Very often when young people are coming to me saying, I need proof that Islam is the truth, and they want the proof to come to them, and more often than not, I push them to do one of a number of exercises. One is to write their own religion, and then it has to be better than Islam. Or then compare other religions head to head. They actually go through the process, as opposed to Islam being brought to me on a silver platter, because they're not going to have enough knowledge on how to evaluate that. I mean, the easiest proof of Islam is the Prophet himself, peace be upon him. But if you don't know how to take that as a proof, then it becomes meaningless. Which then leads us to the opposite. <clears throat> Those who disobey Allah and his messenger, then, <clears throat> and then on top of that, they, they cross over his limits. And then he will enter them into the fire and they'll live there forever. Again, this is a passage that we've had many, many times. What I want to draw our attention to again is that this is the common practice of the Quran, that you will have opposites next to each other. So you will often have hell immediately followed by heaven or vice versa. Obedience immediately followed by disobedience and, and vice versa. And this then becomes a tool for making sense of meaning to get to know something by its opposite. So... <clears throat> They will stay there, and then this is the biggest, uh, this is Azabun Mohin, and so here, this is essentially uh, 
you know, humiliating punishment for them. Yeah, we don't have to talk too much about it unless anyone has any questions or thoughts. Uh, we can move forward to the next juicy topic. Ready? Brace yourself. Okay. If any of your women, Nisa'akum, commit fahisha, and you find four witnesses, and they testify to their uh, guilt, lock them up. Keep the women at home until death comes to them or until God shows them another way. What is that saying? And why is it only women? Uh, that's actually not. Nah, that was <laughs> my question is, who's them? Is them the women or is them those that lock them up? Uh, oh, death comes to them. No, this would be the women. Okay. No, no. Yeah, so shows them another way is to the women. Yes. Okay. And my question is, why do the women get the death and the men don't get death? What does it say the men don't get death? Oh, snap. The following. I told you I read ahead. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it doesn't say that. <clears throat> okay, well, let's look at that as well. If two men commit a lewd act, the issue here, however, is that uh, it's the same. It's uh, the word is referring to this, although it's not using it. If they repent in other ways, leave them alone. Okay, what do we get if we put these two eyes together then? 15 and 16 or? 15 and 16. Should we add more? No. Well, I was actually going to go back to 14 thinking that he. 14. Yes. Yeah. So 14. No, the. Okay, 15. I'm sorry. 15, 15 and 16. When yeah. he, the women, the, the, I think the four witnesses would make it hard to achieve like he's making it hard to achieve i don't know like okay. so it's like okay you can't just accuse the women it can't be one person two person it has to be four people mama yeah. that say they have sought that and uh-huh. yes Habibi. yeah the, the probability to find four witnesses well that's it's it's very very low actually mm-hmm. What happens if I accuse a woman of lewd act, fahish, fahisha, and I bring three witnesses, and the three witnesses are saying, yes, absolutely, I saw this. It still doesn't count? I get convicted of lying. (laughs) Olfa's like, yay, now I'm beginning to like Islamic law. All right. The... uh, as a general principle, the easiest crime in all of Islamic law to adjudicate is when someone brings forth an accusation against a woman and they don't bring four witnesses. Okay. Any thoughts? How do we make sense of one or the next eye, the two eyes together? I think everyone's like fasting. I don't want to talk about this right now. You know. So this is if two men, like what is that two men? So there is a reading to this 
that this is speaking of two men specifically or both of you. Are we talking about like two men? That, or is that like, are we talking about like homosexuality? So there is a common reading so. of this. There's a, a, a couple of, of uh, or a major number, a minority, but a major number of scholars who say this is sodomy. Yeah. Majority say that <clears throat> this is referring to the two people that are committing the lewd act. Ah. So both readings uh, um, you will find in the commentaries. Dania. So um, I find it interesting that if it's just the woman, then it's a keeper in her home. Okay. Um, but then if it's the two, then punish them uh-huh. and then let them like, go on their merry way, basically. Because okay. um, Allah has like, accepted their repentance. Okay. So yeah, that's if they repent, uh, then, <laughs> then leave them alone. That's a separate thing. So punish, but yeah. but yeah, but that's okay. So that's one part of it. How do you know they repent if they're punished? Okay. okay. And then this, the second part is like, why is there a distinction between if both of them versus if it's just the woman? Okay. Yeah. Other questions. And then why is there no specific way of um, punish them? For men, it just says punish them, but for women, it's very specific. Keep them in the home. Okay. Oh. Any other thoughts, questions? Actually, this is more uh, thought-provoking, to put it nicely, uh, than the inheritance passages. Horam and then Shela. So, so I believe uh, the two. I think in this ayah, the mentioning of two means like they are covering both hetero and homosexual aspects of it. Um, and um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Yeah, so so and and the repent actually, if they repent and repent and mend their ways, is it like, so the, the, the other thing I, so these, these eyes are still the part, as you said, that these are the eyes are, is a part of holistic, right? So we need to have considered the holistic aspect as okay. well. Okay. So this, so, so means if you if you are going to try to find okay how we will measure the repent and mend their ways and what is the punishment we may find it in some other ayahs the answer mm-hmm. of these sure yeah, yeah. one it. hint uh, that I'll say for all of you think of the punishment as independent of the repentance um, it's the punishment is forthcoming if however they repent. And then that's going to be a whole question of its own. How do we figure out if they're actually repenting? Then that can act in lieu of the punishment. Shayla. So it, it cut out, like, I guess it cut out what you just said, what your response was just now. I couldn't hear that. Oh, but um, why don't you share what... Uh, what you uh, said uh, it could act in lieu you're actually breaking okay what me. i was going to ask um well, i was going to ask um about whether they it's if where it says if they repent and mend their ways can that oh okay no keep speaking let keep me speaking. go to a different spot oh can i keep talking yes okay so um is it that refers to the previous 
Actually, yeah, you're breaking up again, so I'm having trouble hearing you. Is Shayla breaking up for everybody else or just for me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me start out. Okay. I'll just write it in, in the chat. I'll okay. Okay. Just, I don't know if you can see me, but yeah. And your thoughts, questions, reflections about one or the other or both of the ayahs? I, I, um, I wonder if, um, because the punishment for the woman is specific and you cannot go beyond that. So that's the only thing that you can do, um, confine her. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is for her further protection and mm -hmm. um, dignity. And for men, it doesn't say in the second eye, it doesn't say if it is to men, men, mm -hmm. then it doesn't say what type of punishment. So um, it could be any. So if it was the same for the woman, then chances were that you would go like you could go on to the extreme because of how women were seen especially in that time and because they're one of the weaker ones. And so the punishment for men is kept open. Mm -hmm. And the door for repentance is, I guess, throughout the Quran is open for everyone. Okay. So um, I would assume that for women, that would be the case as well. Okay. And until death comes upon them it's it doesn't mean that you know they are made to die <laughs> of course okay. they'll just stay in there and until you know their life whatever okay. so I feel <clears throat> that it's more of a protective measure okay but I'm not sure I'm just thinking so sure sure and your thoughts questions reflections attempts to make sense what if we read this in like the most patriarchal way we can think of? We How would we read this? If we read, you know, both of these ayahs in the most patriarchal way we can think of, how would we interpret these ayahs? Harshly. Okay, but yeah, explain. Like, uh, uh, what would that mean? I mean, it just it seems like a, it would it would look as if it's more lenient towards men yeah. and then women. It seems as though it's saying that a man can change his ways, but a woman cannot. Yeah. If we read this in the most patriarchal way, that the woman gets a life sentence locked up, house arrest. But if a man repents, changes his ways, then Allah's ready to accept repentance. So. But isn't the AS 16, it's plural. And in if, one of the readings, mm -hmm. it isn't just referring to men. So if we read this in the most patriarchal way, it's specific, uh, only sp uh, speaking of men. But yeah, majority opinion here. So essentially I'm looking at, first, can we figure out what are the boundaries, the far extremes? So the one extreme is... Ayah 15 is about women. Ayah 16 is about men. 15, the woman, life sentence in the home, no, no opportunity for parole. 16 is, is that, uh, that the, the man has a chance to repent. 
and then you know they can move along with life. So the plural being referring to men in the plural, not men and women. So minkum uh, here, I'm saying if we read that as men only, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, I was exactly looking at the taba wa aslaha. Yeah. Keep going. So, I was, so I thought that includes both men and women. So, what if we say the taba and aslaha? They're both duels. They're referring to the two men. What do you think? Does it work? So it's is it so is does the Arabic really specify if it's two men men like Rijal or is just two humans? Ulfat, what do you think? You know, Faridu Anhuma. Men. Can we figure it out if it's two both. men? Could be both. Could be two men or a man and a woman. Yeah. Does not specify. But, right. So I think that if if it doesn't specify, then it could just be an extension of Ayah 15. Sure. Or Ayah 16 could be independent of Ayah 15. Right. So it's not, it doesn't seem to me like a comparison between men and women. It's basically different scenario. Possibly. Yeah. But you all see what I'm doing first. First, I'm saying, what is the if patriarchy is a thing that we're we're kind of finding prickly? What is the most patriarchal reading here? The most patriarchal reading would be saying that all right, women get locked up, men get punished, but then they have the opportunity for 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 toba. What would be the pushback against that? What about that last part in A15 where it says, "Or Allah opens some way for them"? What does that mean? So usually when we have an ayah like that, it means that another ayah comes along. Which would be the ayahs in Surah Al-Nisa, Surah Al-Ahzab. So, uh, Surah Al-Ahzab primarily, you know, regarding zina and such. Wait, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. If you all raise your hands just so I can, I can get to all of you. Sorry. It's all good. Uh, so basically, when you have a line like "until Allah gives another way," uh, very often that's understood to mean "until Allah reveals a different ayah that abrogates this." Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, so in like in ayah fifteen, it says particularly says "nisa nisa ikum," right? Okay. But it doesn't say in the same way in ayah number 16. Uh, it doesn't give, it gives the qualification of male and female, right? Uh, does it? Well, the the masculine grammatical form, dual and pluralist being using here, only refers to men if it's clearly only referring to men. Otherwise, it might be referring to men and women. Like, for example, if you say, Assalamu alaikum, you say that to men or women, right? If you say "Assalamu alaykum," you only say that to women. There is no form that is only exclusively men, unless it's illustrated by the context. Even the word "rijal" in the Quran, "rijal," if it's on its own, can mean men and women. Yes. When you have "rijal" and "nisa," then it's men, and then "nisa" is women. See what I'm saying? So. 
Ayah 16, the context is not clear if it's only referring to men or if it's referring to men and women. But <clears throat> what would be a hint that it's referring to men and women? We've sort of hinted at that. Toba. That Toba is for everybody. We would use that then at a hint as a hint that 15 and 16 go together. In the same way up here that 11 and 12 obviously go together. Here's a set of rules of inheritance. Here's a set of rules of inheritance. Obviously those, we would put them together as though it's one concept in two ayahs. See what I'm saying? That if we take ayah 15 on its own, then it seems like a specific rule for women. Yeah. But because of the mention of Tauba, <clears throat> then because Tauba is available for everyone, it would be fair to assume that both of this, that the whole concept is I have 15 and 16 together. So we can only then think of uh, from the patriarchal point of view. No, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry. Finish your question. Finish your question. So we can only like, we can only read into as a patriarchal uh only if we have like some bias basically otherwise yes if we read carefully it should not be yes think otherwise okay yes exactly yeah so uh Olfat. so if the last part of the a wasn't there then women will be locked up in their homes and men, I, I... If they... so in Allah if that part wasn't there then that like why patriarchal way of looking at it would apply, could potentially apply? I think could potentially apply more, but it's still pretty ambiguous, isn't it? So for example, if we read all of this as one ayah, not as two separate ayahs, then we'd probably assume it's men and women, wouldn't we? Yeah. And so keep in mind an ayah is an ayah on its own, but it does not mean that it's a complete point. And, and so a lot of times, if you read collections of ayahs as paragraphs, they will much make much more sense in terms of a whole picture. But the exercise that we're all going through is the exact exercise that scholars would go through, trying to make sense of these things. What are the, the clues we can figure out, you know, how this works? This is exactly what the scholars would go through. Obviously, a big part of it was what can we find about the prophet, peace be upon him. There, I couldn't find much in terms of anything he's saying regarding these specific ayahs. So if we can't find something from the prophet, peace be upon him, then we're going to use whatever intellectual tools, here language interpretation tools that we can uh, to try to make sense of, of where a concept begins and where a concept ends. So for example, it's also fair to assume that the concept, however, begins with Ayah 15. Because Ayah 13 and 14 are speaking about, you know, obeying and disobeying Allah. They seem to go together, right? 11 and 12 seem to go together. They're about inheritance. And then likewise, 15 and 16 seem to go together. Dania. Are there times when the Prophet um, clearly distinguish or um, indicates that these um, ayahs are meant to be interpreted together or like read together? Or is there any um, mm. 
anything in the history about that? I'm just curious, like, or is it like really scholarly interpretation that we go off of? For your exact question, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but we have many cases where the prophet is giving commentary, sort of filling gotcha. in the blanks, right? <clears throat> the easiest example is, is, you know, the ayah that's probably the most difficult for a whole lot of people, ayah 34. I mean, literally papers and dissertations have been written on ayah 34. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, and that God has given more, and then righteous wives uh, are devout, guard what would have them guard. And then, if you fear no shoes from your wives, remind them, then ignore them, and then hit them. And then, in the prophet's commentary, peace be upon him, the extent of what you're allowed is the extent of taking a miswalk and tapping her with it, right that the word that is being used, daraba, which often translates as make an example, is um, doesn't give us a sense of intensity, right? So there'd be a a direct correlation where the prophet is giving um, uh, uh, a commentary on on the hadith, which on the ayah, which then is adding limitations. Gotcha. Okay. But in this case, there, there isn't anything. And these it, it, it may two, be there, but I, I just, I couldn't find it. You know, I looked in commentaries gotcha. and such, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Sabrine, Sadia. Isn't there like a common theme in the Quran of A as being like that, built that way? Uh, which they way? go together? Because I feel uh, like that's a lot, that's, um, it's like the tool that people that don't understand how the Quran is put together they use to discredit Islam in a negative way. So mm-hmm. they'll just take one ayah and not read before it or after it. So I will modify what you're saying, but essentially agree with what you're saying, that every ayah exists within the whole Quran. So yes, that uh, if you're taking an ayah on its own, you also got to look at you know its context within the surah, you also got to look at its context within the entire Quran itself. Yeah, if okay. You, if you take an ayah on its own, whether it's violent or super soft, yes, you might be, you know, doing a disservice to the ayah. Okay. Yeah. So same point you're making, I'm just modifying the words a little bit. Sadia. So um, do you think that the interpretation of uh, what I was saying earlier that it is to protect that specific punishment is for the protection and for protection of the dignity of the women um, after committing such an act. Uh, is, I do think so. Do you think that could be? What is it? I, I totally agree with you mm-hmm. um, that this is on its own for the for many generations in history, including the modern times. This is actually a protection of women. And the easiest example of that is think what happens in the subcontinent today in what we call honor killings. Yeah. Right. There's no. Uh, exactly. And, and so, yeah. Uh, in in this context, if we apply it to the world, uh, I mean, honor killings are not even looking for witnesses and everything, so they usually don't even care. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the point is that uh, it is. I do also read this as a type of protection from worse punishment yeah punishment of like earthly earthly 
raise your hand, please. Oh, yeah. But punishment basically from torture or anything else, you know, acid being thrown in your face. Wow. You know. Malahat, and then Shayla, and then Sabrine. So my question is not about the ayah, but the comment I think Sabrina or someone made yeah. about the ayah we are reading. Yeah. Um, like one ayah and then making the whole, getting all the concept out of it. So where do you put the Muntahab Nisab from Dr. Sahab or Amin Islahi Sahab and Mududi Sahab? And all the way back that, you know, they did the same thing, right? They just pick up ayah, like if you read the whole uh, if you read the whole ayah and there is no ayah before that talking about anything about Aqamutuddin or after that of Aqamutuddin, but they pick this one ayah and then we just talk about the whole Aqamutuddin concept based upon that. So mm-hmm. the, uh, my, my question is where to like, where we put this Muntahab Nisab ayah? Mm-hmm. If the answer you give it to Sabrina, I mean, how we can correlate. Okay, so just to explain to everyone else, Muntakhab Nisab is a selective course of study, selected course of study that, you know, the, the late Dr. Sar Ahmad modified from, from uh, one of his teachers, you know, may Allah's mercy be upon them all. And Muntakhab Nisab is essentially a tafsir of Surah Al-Asr using the Quran, right? And so, so to connect it with all of this, uh, to reframe the exact same point we're making, that uh, in terms of tafsir of Quran, and so first and foremost, what is tafsir doing? It's not giving us an explanation as much as it's giving us the wider picture. The subtle difference. The first is Quran with Quran. So an example of that is when we were looking at the ayah on polygamy, marry two, three, or four, but if you fear you cannot be just or balanced, then marry only one, right? Everybody remembers this. Then if we look at, everybody remember what ayah was? I think it was 127. Maybe it's 129. No, 129, I think. Same surah. You will never be able to treat your wives with equal fairness, no matter how hard you try. Now, if you think about it, that's actually obvious. Let's say, you know, you have a man who has three wives. Uh, If he gave the exact same amount of money to each wife, it might be beneficial for one, but hard for another. So, for example, one wife has one child, another wife has two children. Or let's say one wife is much taller and so her clothes may cost more and another wife is much shorter. Uh, The point is that if you gave the exact same amount of money to all four wives, three wives, two wives, you may be giving less than one what person needs and more than what another person needs. So that's an obvious point that the Quran is emphasizing. No matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to. But this is giving us an answer in addition to the first ayah. It's not even next to it. And so so the first place you look for all the questions is what else can we find in the Quran itself um, uh, to give us dimensions 
limitations, expansions of, of ayahs. And then, of course, Quran with the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then it's Quran with, for Sunnis, anything we can find from the Sahaba, and for Shias, anything we can find from the Imams. Right? And so in Sunni tradition, how are we actually learning about the Prophet, peace be upon him? We're learning everything from the Sahaba. And Shia tradition, how are we learning what the Prophet is saying in meaning? We're learning from the Imams. And then we go to the Arabs. So, for example, the point that Ulfat was making here with knowledge of Arabic, knowledge of pronouns and such, then we're looking there. And then after that, we might go to Aqal, our own intellect. These are the formal steps in deriving meaning from the Quran. So, so the point is, in relationship to these ayahs, it happens that we have two ayahs that are next to each other. But then we will also have ayahs in Surah Al-Ahzab, which are also expanding upon this. And right... Wait, Ahzab is Surah Actually, Surah I think. Right. Nur 2 to 10. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that, Joel. So, here specifically in the context of Zina, then we have a whole set of IOs that are giving us further explanation. So this would absolutely be a technique for deriving meaning for all the ayahs of the Quran, uh, but uh, especially these. So, Malah, does that all make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. Sabrine. I forgot my question. Inshallah, <laughs> if it comes back, then you can just, you don't have to raise your hand, you can just interject. Okay, any other questions, thoughts, reflections on all this? I was just going to say, can you hear me better now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, those were the two IS, what we've already talked about. Basically, those were the two that I was talking about tying together. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I guess I had another question about, I don't know what it's called, but basically the opposite of a patriarchal interpretation. Um, I was wondering if matriarchal, yeah, matriarchal. Mm -hmm. Maybe... Um, and I can't remember who it was that made the comment that perhaps this is a protection for the women, right? That they're locked mm -hmm. up. But then I didn't, I don't know if that's kind of like really trying to see very positively because um, it's until they die, right? So most honor killings might be like right afterwards, mm -hmm. but I don't, what I don't understand is how that would be necessary until they actually die, right? Because mm -hmm. that's for potentially for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Sure. So for that, we would then add the ending of the next ayah, repentance. Right. And that could be the doorway out. Make sense? 
we haven't yet discussed that's gonna be a whole discussion of its own how do we figure yeah. out if someone's truly repenting as opposed to i have seen the light right but uh Shell, does that make sense yes mm -hmm. yeah because that, that's what i thought is that that could apply to the previous ayah to the women yeah. as well yeah so other thoughts on these ayahs nothing right now so <clears throat> One of the questions also being explored is, do the ayahs in Surah Nur abrogate those ayahs? Okay. And so the short version of the ayahs of Surah Nur is, all right, if you have two people who commit unlawful fornication, you got to bring four witnesses. And then if you do, then if, if one of them is unmarried, the ayah doesn't say it. This is what we get when we add the hadith to it. If someone's unmarried, then they get lashed a hundred times. There's disagreement. There's a variety of opinions over what does it mean to be lashed. Some speak of a whip. Some speak of taking like the equivalent of a sandal and hitting them a hundred times. I don't really want to think of either of them. And then uh, more frightening is if one of them is married, then it is death by stoning. Right, which I want to think about even less. And the same point, if you, uh, and then there's also variations, if you accuse your own wife and you don't have witnesses, then you all, you both testify against each other. Okay. And so he testifies four times, she can testify a fifth time. And if she says, no, I did not commit it, then, um, then she's considered to be innocent. Uh, the last point I want to draw your attention to, which is sort of uh, what Khurram uh, uh, introduced. When you're bringing four witnesses, okay, number one, in most cases, that's going to be pretty much impossible, right? Unless you're off either, you have a whole sting operation of some sort, right? Or it's public. So these punishments seem very severe, but think of the ethic that is being pushed here. The ethic that is being pushed or that, that is being promoted is that if she does not confess, if he does not confess, and you don't have witnesses, then you stay silent. Why? Isn't there something in the you stay silent and repent because if no, no, you... no, no. I'm saying if I'm the accuser or let's say I'm a witness. Oh, if the witness, the witness stays silent. No, no, no. no. I'm saying, let's say, you know, uh, I, I see two people doing, you know, you know, the Haram act. Okay. I don't have any other witnesses. I just happen to be walking by and I'm like, what, what is this? You know? And then, uh, but I don't have any other witnesses and they don't confess. Then it's effectively telling me I have to be silent. Oh, because um, you could have seen something that you misunderstood. No, let's say it's absolutely clear. It's like a hundred percent clear. Yeah. And you still have to stay silent. Yeah. What is the ethic that is being promoted here? Oh, the protection of um, someone's sin? It's the protecting society from the sin. 
that one of the the issues is that in the same way we should not advertise our sins and in the same way we should not advertise someone else's sins collective sins usually have bigger punishments and so even those should not be discussed even in the law books you'll have these goofy things called like the sleeping baby syndrome where let's say you know two people are accused of zina and then 15 months later she gives birth and uh math wise oh i forgot i might be inverting it basically you're even looking for ways to hide the sin because the advertising of the sin can be more detrimental to society okay Savia. um yeah that was my answer actually uh to your question and um and also this is a theme across all the punishments that we see they basically are there because i mean whether they're severe or not they are to protect the order of the society mm-hmm. and not just spread um bad conduct and uh even though they are so severe, finding those witnesses and getting to a point where that punishment can really be applied is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's just mercy from Allah that, you know, they're made so difficult and so severe that that sometimes they don't even have to be applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah. And so a way to think about this is that a sin that I, that I commit on my own uh, has a certain amount of punishment. A sin that I commit with someone else is contributing to corruption of society. Just another person. Another person. And so, so the sin that I commit on its own, the punishments are almost always much lighter than the sins that you do with someone else. And so uh, when you do sins with someone else, the punishments are much, much more severe. And you have other elements, like, you know, if you you have reasonable doubt, you know, then there's nothing to to punish, even if it's clear that that they're the perpetrators. But the point being that even then, you try to keep things out under wraps for the sake of society. The thing about in our society, how free every single type of sin is being mentioned, that is also looked at as contributing to corruption of society. So let's say, yeah, go ahead, Sabrina. Because it makes it more, almost, we get desensitized and it just becomes acceptable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, what's the big deal? You know. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's say, hypothetically, nobody in our society uh you know drinks booze but we keep just joking about it all the time that is still contributing to the corruption of society okay and your thoughts questions reflections on these ayahs i'll tell the the other side of this right yes like, uh, in in when you take it to the other spectrum where it's everyone's overzealous and then everyone's accusatory, and everyone's like, "Oh, you've that also contributes to a lot of chaos." Which Absolutely. Is what 
at home. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, you, this is the whole mob rule. This is essentially in Christianity. This is what happened to Jesus. That you had this whole mob that even lets a murderer go, and then they all start turning against Jesus, who's on trial, right? And it's literally mob rule. Yeah. And that is uh, its own insane danger. Any other thoughts, questions, reflections? All righty. Uh, tomorrow, inshallah, we'll then explore the question of repentance. You know, uh, how do I, if I commit a sin, I'm convicted, how do I truly express repentance? And the hint is a little bit in the ayah anyway. But think about that question. And we will continue. I have a question. Yes, Sabrine. If you commit a sin. I like how I like in my example, I'm committing the sin, but as Sabrine's example, I'm committing the sin still. Okay, I continue. Um, okay, if an individual commits a sin, there are no witnesses, they don't confess, and they don't, um, what's it called? And then. Repent? Well, no, they do repent. Or like, get. Uh. By never committing it again, and they just, you know, they ask for forgiveness. Does that, like, that's that's the repentance? Like, is there still a punishment? Like, does that person need to confess in order to be, in order to, like, relieve themselves? You know how, like, I don't know. I feel like this, it's like a common thing amongst, I don't want to say it this way, but it's like a, a white people thing, a white people thing where in relationships they're always like, Oh my god, I have to bear my soul, or we can't law on a clean slate, begin on a lie, all that BS. So that never made sense to me. This makes so you don't do that, right? Like you don't do that. Yeah, I'd say uh save the question for, for tomorrow, inshallah, when we get into the repentance, inshallah. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me see if I got all the, the chat box things. Uh, Jewel, you want me to rep uh, repeat how I define tafsir? So tafsir essentially is giving the full picture of an ayah. We often think that the ayah says A, B, C, D, but what Allah actually meant was D, E, F, G. Uh, more, the ayah says A, B, C, D, and here is through this method of interpretation, the whole universe of what that ayah includes and does not include. I have an analogy actually for that when i look at tafsir sure. i look at tafsir as in like think of your fogged meter mirror and That's the ayah. you see your you see the ayah in one spot and like you you see your eyes that's an ayah you need to see your whole face so you clear the fog in order to see your whole face so that... heretofore she will be known as sheikha sabrine no i'm trying to is that is that right? Is that how think, I'm seeing it? Is that like how? That's literally uh, what it is. It's clarifying. Okay. Uh, so. Anyone else? Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell reward you all, inshallah. And we will continue with our exciting discussion, inshallah, tomorrow. Please also pray for uh, uh, Mrs. Malahat Qureshi, Bina Bhabi. Because uh, she has some health issues going on tomorrow, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.